Hey, everybody. Welcome to It's Real with Jordan Demi. I'm Jordan Edwards. Demi Ramos will be joining us shortly. And today we've got Gavin Rostad. What's up? What's up, Gavin? How you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. I have light in me. Yours looks all like nice and moody. And I'm like in this bright room trying to like pretend it's not. Yeah, bright. yeah. Go yeah, I, I, I had a little more. I put some effort into the, the whole background. I feel like these Zoom studios now are becoming like our real studios. So. You know, I had are those like, bongs or candles up there. This what now? Are those bongs or candles up there? Those are not bongs. I think there's some kind of sculpture. It's, uh, it's not. These are not my. This is not my decoration. This is someone else's. It's all good, decoration. man. It's all good. Hey, no judgment. Yeah. Um, you know, that, let's talk, Gavin. Let's talk about um, this new album that you have out, October seventh, The Art of Survival. First of all, this is a really. To me, I was listening to the album last night. It's a pretty. It's a hard album. It like it it hits hard. The bass is hard. The drums is hard. So, tell me about the sound of this album. What you were going for and the process of making it. Well, it's going to be seductive as well. I mean, there's sort of we don't want to put people off it. It's not a block of cement. Oh, hello. Did you know there's Demi. Demi, can you hear us? How are you? I you guys. Okay, go ahead. Just, go ahead, Gavin. Look, destroys us. We look. We're like. He's got great lighting with bongs in the back. He says they're not bongs, but they look like bongs. And, uh, <laughs> they might be bongs. Oh, you come on looking perfect like that. Yeah. Oh, I love these early morning zooms. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what were you saying? The record's hard. Well, yeah, it's sort of, it's, it's enthusiastic. It's an enthusiasm to it, you know, like a vitality, you know. I talk yeah. about like how, you know, if you've had a few records out, you can sometimes people put out um like mid-tempo-y acoustic-y i don't know kind of but i keep thinking don't do that so i keep making it as sort of heavy and fun and we're playing such big crowds all the time that um they really respond to that that feel you know you worked with with eric ron on this and he had produced some of your stuff previously um, and he's a respected rock producer. So why, why, what, what's, what's it like working with him? Uh, really good. He's really local. He's close to me. Uh, we get on great. He's, he's quick in the studio. He's really speedy. He's like a wizard. He calls himself the wizard. And, um, it's just an easy vibe, you know? I mean, now with studios, you can get songs up on your own to a certain space and, you know, make them sound a certain way. And, um, I think uh, he's just a really good collaborator. Yeah, um, and so when you when you put these, first of all, what is what is making the Bush album now compared to? Obviously, the, there's a lot of difference in like the recording and and the distribution. But in terms of the way the songs are put together, are you guys? Um, how much do you do you work with other band members, or is it, or do you kind of like make everything and then bring it to? The rest of the band or how does how do bush albums come together these days um anyway they can really i i like the idea there's different ways of doing it but i do a lot of the songs on my own and um i just kind of build them up and almost like it's like making demos for myself like i'm a producer for myself you know and i'll take these songs and get them to a certain point and then i they go through the process of uh eric uh chris uh, plays guitar with me, um, you know, Corey, everyone, everyone comes in and kind of gives their opinion and plays on it. And 
it moves, it morphs, and some things move a lot, and some things don't move at all. Um, it just, we don't really care. I've done so many records that I just want it to be great. I don't care. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. I think it's more interesting for it to come different ways than to be every song is the same. So a couple of songs I'll write on music. I'll just do top lines. And then sometimes uh, I do everything. So it sort of depends on the song. Can you tell us about a time where maybe you brought a song or demo to the band and they were just like, nah, bro. <sighs> or was there never a time like that? Well, the songs you can work on, like you intrinsically know a little bit if you're, if there's a song that you should be um, kind of rethinking about, or it's a bit vulnerable, you know what I mean? You can, you feel that vulnerability. So um, what happens is um, just songs, to, it's like a race, they're all in. So if you, maybe I write 12, 15 songs, and then you work a bit on each of them, and you start seeing which ones rise up. So it's more like uh, you get some songs might get more ghosted than others, you know, um, uh, through the process. And I'm the first one to get rid of stuff. It's quite liberating to get through, get rid of songs, you know, because, you know, things that are great, they just sort of work. And if you're working too hard on a song and scratching your heads and losing um, the thread of what you're doing, um, there's a good chance that shouldn't be doing it you know what i mean so i like that francis bacon the painter's concept of you just destroy about one third of what you do and it feels really liberating to let a song go you know maybe nick a good phrase yeah 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 there might be some little like guitar riff that you can carry on to another song or something yeah yeah guitar is a bit harder but maybe a bit like a, a good lyric if i've got a good lyric yeah i just go well i just want to use it this time you know you, you mentioned that uh, that you know your the producer for this album is, is really quick in the studio. Um, back in the '90s, when you had these huge budgets and these huge timelines, did you you feel like you embellished? You like spent more time in the studio back when the budgets were big, or have you always been kind of like a get it done, whatever sounds good now kind of person? Well, I'm not that kind of person. I mean, I'm really like detail oriented. There's so many details in record. There's like this thousands of details. So I'm never right. sort of dismissive. I'm just quick. So that's good because everyone wants to leave. You know, nobody wants to be there. I, yeah, I, I didn't mean the impression that you that you lay stuff down to get out. I mean, but they used to used to be able to really, really spend your time on making everything perfect. Yeah. I suppose I looked up and smelled the roses and figured I want to go out and run in a meadow or swim in the ocean as well, you know, not just be yeah. So, um, I don't know, you just sort of, as you go through whatever your job is, you just get better at, at more at streamlining it, right? And so I just streamline my time a bit. But I do a lot of, you see, the, the process of actually writing, what I, what I call, you know, when you're putting like uh, melodies and words to music and all that sort of stuff, that I can, you know, I need to be on my own because I can play a song in the studio, I put it on loop, one section on loop, and I walk around the house and I don't want anyone in the house, I don't want anyone playing any music, radio, nothing, nothing that can, you know, just no one around. And then I start to hear the songs on the music, you know, and I've always done it like that. So um, that's a longer process and that I'd, I'd like, 
I luxuriate in that process. I love that time, you know, exercise in the morning and eat well and feel ready, go to the studio and it's the only job in the world, you know, you can like, you know, whatever, whatever your potion is, you, know, you can yeah. drink a glass of beer and then like be going to work and being really hard working. So your guy is into routine. You like you like a routine. Well, I think that's the secret of, of being creative is to sit down and do it. I mean, people talk about inspiration and stuff like that. Well, that's all very well and good if you plan on writing one record in your life. You know, yeah. if you're doing 10, 11, 12 records, you just, um, it's it's like, I, I model myself my whole life on painters and how they work, uh, specifically two painters. and. That was Lucien Freud and Francis Bacon, two English painters. And yeah, I did. Into their 80s. They just go to work every day. No matter what they did, they have like wild lives. Um, but between 6 a.m. and 12, with the lights right, they would always just go paint. Then they go and cause havoc, chaos, and, you know, they have a good time with their friends. You know, whatever they do, <laughs> get, get crazy. Yeah. But then every day they'd have to go back and paint. And I always thought that it's sort of like, you know, that Japanese concept of being really um, an artisan, just doing one thing, just making noodles, mm. just make noodles. And then you just make amazing noodles. It's a beautiful way of society. It's a perfect society. I mean, if we all just did one job really well, really mindfully, I want to talk about the reality of being a rock musician, especially now since, as you know, it's kind of like trending and there are, you know, TV shows about it. Mm -hmm. But you being one of the legends and still here to this day, blessing us with new singles. What is the reality of being a member in your band? What's the reality? A lot of travel, uh, 23 hours of waiting around mm -hmm. and then go crazy for one hour a day you know on stage or hour and a half wherever it is are you guys partiers like the painters i mean there are definitely times when um well, it's more of a steady acceptance of being away forever but you just have to you just it's not like okay i won't do shots it's just sort of steady slow kind of coping mechanism whatever it is your coping mechanism of being out there you know um uh so but it's not like we don't we're not going to clubs and yeah after every you're show. not 25 <laughs> anymore no but we, we drive like 10 12 hours to the next place so it's like so. but definitely you know cocktails on the bus and good time <laughs> you know yeah. i was going through your instagram i saw you you uh you you like to post videos from the road. You had that video of you like in Australia, like on a train or on a bus or something. And um, do you do you enjoy social media? It seems like some people are like really hands off and their management handles their Instagram. You know, it's like you know Gavin. It's like it'd be third person. You know, Gavin is going to be here. Gavin has new something. But you look like you really actually do your own social. I look, media. I've got no help. I was <laughs> complaining. I get no help. I'm supposed to find bullshit every day to fucking post drives me nuts but the fans yeah. love that though the fans love that you're doing your own instagram yeah yeah um i actually there's a few fan accounts that really help me because they get such great images they send me <laughs> dm me and say, please can i have that video can i have this can i have that? yeah 
Uh, yeah, fan Instagram accounts is a whole different thing. The whole so different thing. There's this one girl, Bush Interactive, and it's just brilliant. This is every day. There's something. I'm like, where did, what? Have you what? ever had a stalker fan? Mm -hmm. Or what was like the weirdest fan experience that you were like, whoa, mm -hmm. you my front yard? Well, I've had, <clears throat> I, uh, um, I bought my kid. Uh, a snake, really nice snake. Come with a as one does. Four different names. <laughs> Ball python. It's really beautiful. And they call mm -hmm. it a summer right now. I don't know, like terrible names. <laughs> but I was leaving one day to go to the beach with them. I had them all in the car, and people ringing our doorbell all the time to live. My kids spent. They have my Amazon password. My stuff, everything is a nightmare. So it's like Christmas every day at my house. Arrive, <laughs> one kid will walk out. Sorry, they're for me. Get, so lots, lots of things arrive. It's like a distribution center, like an Amazon distribution center. It, <laughs> it really is um, out of control. So, and I have three boys. Just the eight-year-old is not quite hip to it yet. He's just hip to the games. Can I get this? Can I get that? But um, so people, so the door was going. You know, people they buzz people in. And this woman came in, and uh, the kid's right there, and I thought she was delivering something. I was getting in the car, and she goes, um, uh, I've been sent here, you know? I was like, what? Because, yeah. Um, and she was like, you know how I am, right? And I was like, no, I have no idea. And she said she was from the Illuminati. Oh, hell no. <laughs> and... Uh, and that the white snake was a sign. And I was like, hang on, you're talking bullshit. You just, I mean, she's perfectly normal looking. Oh, And I said to her, um, I said, but you just saw my Instagram story four days ago. It's, you know, I said, you can't, you can't come to my house, to my kids. You know, if you do that, to call the police because you're kind of freaking me out. And then I said to her, did you, um, do you have any friends with kids? You know, do you have kids? And she goes, no. I said, do you have any friends with kids? I said, well, you should ask them if a stranger would come on their property talking about the Illuminati, mm -hmm. if they'd like because it's really oh, wow. They're kind of freaking me out. <laughs> so yeah. we've got her address, um, her um, uh, car thing. And um, it, she, she'd come from Boise, Idaho, and had just sort of um, had uh, uh, rented that car. So they went and spoke to her in Boise, Idaho, and sort of to make sure that she wasn't planning on coming back and making me a sacrificial lamb or something like that. I don't know. Wow. So that was pretty weird because it was really close to my kids, and I didn't like that. And they didn't know anything, and she didn't look too weird, but she could have had a gun, a knife, anything. Yeah. And I think ultimately she was just a, um, a fan. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Wow. See, I was expecting like Demi asked that question. I'm expecting like a, a groupie who pushed their way backstage, or like somebody <laughs> who like sent a lock of a lock of their hair in the mail or something. Sorry, that was yeah. the first thing I thought of. Yeah! Wow! Wow! What a story! What a story! 2022. Yeah. Um, the Illuminati. The Illuminati. About the Illuminati. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they got a big uh, presence in Boise, Idaho, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We Demi Demi's a guitarist, and we like to talk about gear sometimes on this show. And I'm curious what kind of guitar person you are. Are you the kind of person who has 
two or three really special guitars or do you have a whole room full of guitars? Do people give you guitars? What's kind of your relationship with your instruments? I'm in a Venn diagram. I'm in the middle of all of that. You know, I have my okay. special guitars. I'm not crazy um, obsessed and uh, buying guitars all the time, but I have a bunch of guitars I love and that I play. And um, I have some Fender custom shop that I made with Fender. They're really, really nice with some uh, uh, humbucker pickups, just one pickup to make it easy for live and no tone control. So it just is volume and it sounds amazing. That's Rosewood neck um, and I think maple body. Um, but I, 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 I have an ESP. I wrote most of this record on one guitar because I did it all in drop tuning. So I have records for different, um, different tunings and stuff. But I've just been playing detuned for a couple of years now, just because I wanted to change it up. And I found that all the songs that I did when I was playing all these big festivals, right, um, to be like to, to be able to play with all the metal bands, I'd take every detuned heavy track from every album, you know, and play those along with the singles. So I was like, well, if you want to do that, why don't you just like detune the whole thing? So I did everything in, in drop C, I think. So I sort of found that, been really working at drop C to make that work for me. And then singing on top of that. And of course, when I sing on top of it, so as you guitar people, you know, that's the funniest thing. People say, oh my God, it sounds like the old, original old Bush, you know, where it doesn't at all. But what it is, is it's spirited, you know, and it's got the vitality. And um, I think that, you know, it's really fun to just experiment with different, different tunings, different things. I went through loads of different tunings for months, different trying everything, the frip tuning, um, all the open tunings. And um, I just didn't want to be having 16 guitars on the road, you know, and then yeah. get mad at me because there's lots of different tunings, you know. Like, oh. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a guitarist, but one thing that annoys me when I'm on a show is when a guitarist has to have a different guitar for every song and the guitar tech comes up and like puts it over their shoulder like every song. It's like, Find find like one or two guitars and just like stay with it, man. Right. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. You might <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, played for I mean, for years now, and one thing I really want, like I'm curious about is the energy of the audience. Um, is there a difference? What is what does it feel like in comparison to maybe years ago to now? To playing to an audience and how they react to the music. Um, well, you know what's weird now is we get a mixture. We get like generational audiences, so we get like old people bringing their kids. So the kids are going crazy, and the older folk are at the back, kind of like checking it out, drinking a, a Cavoisier or something like that. You know, Hennessy. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, it's been really good. You know, we're out on this tour now with Alice in Chains and with Breaking Benjamin. And uh, we took the decision to play, to go with them and, and play early and effectively open for them. And I was like, do we want to do this? And then, like, it, it is so packed when we play at 6.20 that it's so beautiful. It's like a different, it's like a festival. So um, I'm playing to a bunch, I'm playing to two different audiences or three different audiences, you know, our audience. Then there's a newer generation that is like rediscovering rock music right now. Yeah, and, and that's really, it's really exciting. And that's why also, 
you know, as to about the kingdom, the last record was quite heavy, and then this one. I want people to be able to fall in love with the band, like say, fall in love with more than machines, the singers now, and then, um, and then just get that record and hear that record. They don't need to hear the catalog. They don't need the history. They don't need that perspective. They can just fall in love with the band as is now, and um, that's a cool. Um, that's a good. You know, that's valuable to me. And that's why we work so hard making the records really good, so that you ultimately it's don't. Need it. It's like a, it's like a survival. The Bush survival kit is in that record. Mm. You could have that record and know everything about Bush and drive up and down the coast. Um, but it's nice when it leads to the catalog. So I don't know that it, it's ever changing. The audience, you know? ever changing. Yeah, you mentioned more than machines, which is like the the big single now. I mean. This, I think this song kind of, it feels, it, it does have an old school Bush feel to it, especially it's got that big anthemic chorus, um, but it does have like kind of that crunchier, darker sound that's more recent. So um, did you know when you were making recent this album that, go ahead, what do you say? Recent with me singing on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But did, did you know that like when you were putting this album together that More, More Than Machines is going to be a real standout track? And do you know ahead of time what's going to be the, the big songs or do they kind of bubble the surface gradually? Well, that had a real immediate feel. The reason that More Than Machines was the, one of the last two songs I wrote for the record. And uh, what I liked about that was just I was just so proud to get the line about um, um, girls you in control, not the government not the government and you know that whole Roe versus Wade and this kind of dissolution of women's rights in 2022 is just so staggering that I, as a songwriter I was just really proud that I kind of snuck it in it was like kind of do you know what I mean the reaching home base just making it and making it making the run I don't know why it's a baseball analogy but it's just like I just snuck it in there and as when that was going on I, I felt really irresponsible to be in a creative uh, capacity and not reference that. Mm -hmm. So to me, that was just my triumph of like, I was like, good, you know, you got to stand up and say what you believe in and stuff like that. So uh, that's what I did. And um, that's, that's my, it has about the climate, which is screwed and no one really cares enough. It keeps getting worse and worse and people can't get with it. But that's in there. You got um, AI with the, with the more than machines, the whole um, augmented reality, you know, um, um, the whole AI robot world, machines against machine uh, humans. So that song is like a haiku. It has three crazy haikus in there. And so oh, sure. as, as a songwriter, that makes me, that kind of tickles me internally. You know, I go, good, you know, because it's really tricky to bring up current events in a way that isn't bombastic and sort of right. heavy-handed and trying to tell people like i'm not saying anything you know? not be too preachy right there's no yeah. I can't preach what do i know i don't know yeah. shit. so so it's really important for that to me so therefore on a personal level that's where i think that i did a good job as a songwriter have you um done many shows performing the songs from this album um have you gotten a good gauge on what the the fan favorites will be because sometimes you probably don't know yeah, I don't know. No, we've haven't. We've only played the single because we're already in this weird position. We brought out the Kingdom, our last record, two summers ago, 
we never got a chance to tour it. And coming on this tour, like I don't want to do a greatest hits nostalgia band thing. Right. So I did a few hits. I mean, they're all singles that we play. It's like nine singles out of ten, but they're much more recent. So I played loads more of the Kingdom, and uh, it feels so much more um, kind of of now rather than sort of like a great like a greatest hits record. We yeah. Haven't so haven't done any brand new songs because there's already new songs from the the record we just had. Right. So, yeah. At that time, do you still get the rush when you walk on stage? Yeah. The funny thing is, is that uh, the days can. I mean, it's all right now because it's summer, but the days can be really hard and challenging. But when you're standing on stage and you hear the crowd and then the our music starts and, and on this tour weird enough, it's usually bright sunlight from behind. So it's really mystical looking. And I look out and I had it the other day where we're in San Francisco and I was like, oh shit, looks like there's no one there. There's the pit and it was like lots more chairs than we'd seen. Like I was saying, hey, loads of people come to our show to see it from the beginning at 6.20, which is really early. And uh, and then as soon as the music starts, they come in like like rats coming out from the... <laughs> you, were, you were starting them or something. That moment, and we have a, an intro, and that intro is really, um, um, what's the word? Uh, it's really uplifting and like, it's very ceremonial. It's mm. very like, you know something's about to happen. So you can't help and then there's a, actually a drum fill that is taught, is my signal with a bass player off stage where we come on. And then when we come on, there's a real, it's a very exciting moment. So it's kind of, we're like wolves, you know, we're like a band of wolf, wolves, wolves. So we just like, it doesn't matter if we're injured, if we're broken, we're tired, we're thirsty. We hear that drum roll, we go on the stage, we just, you know, we just go for it and then um, and then go back to our sort of sloth-like selves at, um, about an hour and a half later. You've set the stage. I'm I'm like that, that was a great description. You should you should narrate films or something. That, that was that was great. Yeah. Setting that stage. Thank you. I'm, I'm up for anything. Yeah. I'm yeah. All right. <laughs> we uh we gotta let you go here in a second, Gavin. But um, one thing I want to ask we didn't ask him. Of course, you you get so many sixteen stone era questions. Uh, you know, glycerin questions, all that kind of stuff. But what I want to ask is, what songs from that era do you love to play that you don't get tired of, that you love to hear the audience reaction every time? And what song are songs are you kind of like over? Well, the songs that we're sort of not over, but just like give rests to. Um, that's a good, that's a, I like that perspective. I like the perspective. Well, it totally is because when you play them again, you go, Oh man, why haven't we played the song? If we haven't played the song for a while, it's just certain songs. Um, you know, there's a sort of an era of Bush and a time of Bush when it was, um, you know, very song heavy. So I think that, um, we just keep it quite, um, sort of heavy for the crowd but I don't get tired of any of them and and you know I get so many people coming up to me and telling me about every day about 
how a song affected them, what it did for them, this and that. So if I were playing any of the mellow songs, Glycerine, I mean, that song gave me so much that it's such a, it's a pleasure to play it. I don't, I'm not bothered by it. The only time I don't like playing a song is if I think it's not heavy enough and the crowd's like, just heard corn. Then I go play <laughs> swan. I'm like, I feel a bit vulnerable. You know? yeah. So I feel, I feel better to just like, you know, be a bit uh, super aggressive. So, but it's also nice. You know, the thing is, is what's weird about that is that you can have them, you know, play four or five aggressive songs. When you play something more melodic, more lilting, it's a nice respite for the audience. Then you can go back to that. So it also depends on how long we have. Like this tour, we have an hour. So we don't really have too much time to carve out some extra moments. It just is quite, you know, uh, focused yeah. business. Just we want to steal the audience, you know. If they don't love us before, if they don't know us, if they don't love us, we just we just we just want your love, you know. That's what we do. <laughs> we we want to steal everyone because I don't think that you know you could love Alice in Chains, not know anything about Bush that much, you know. All right, you heard of singles, whatever, but not know anything about us, and then see us play. I, I, I want to steal them, you know. I want her to matter to them because it I love it. I love that after all these years, you care about finding new fans and and getting new fans. It's great. It's great. I'm very ambitious. I'm very yeah. ambitious. Um, uh, uh, but because it, it, it doesn't, you know, I love Alice in Chains. I think they're incredible. And the more I play with them, the more I realize how much I love them. But I still want to steal their audience because their audience can still. I love know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but everyone feels the same way. Okay. I mean, it's a needy profession. What are we? Yeah. Really we're like going out seeking approval, seeking adoration, seeking uh, connection. You know, it's like, it's a it's a really bizarrely needy job. You know, you just, you sell a lifestyle of a uh, 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 kind of, you know, it's, it's what it is, you know? Yeah. When people get lost in the time that you're on stage. People get lost in whatever it is, whatever potion you're selling, you know, we're just like, ancient um you know traveling salesmen you know with like potions coming out singing a song just a bigger version of it i'm ready to go to a bush show you're you're your own best advertisement there did you guys get to new york yet what's that you guys get to new york yet or you guys are doing new york we just played jones beach you missed it demi you missed it yeah are you guys in new york I'm in I'm in LA. Demi's in New York. Yeah. Wow. All right, so Gavin. Personal thing. What is it? You, so this is a podcast you guys do together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. We're fr I moved here from LA. Or I moved here from New York, and Demi stayed in New York. Um, she's a runway model slash rock and roll star. So um, the modeling gigs keep her in New York. Yeah. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We just played Jones Beach, but we'll be back. We're always back. Yeah. Um, and Demi will be there in the front row. You never know if we'll be back. We just hope that, you know what I mean? It's just like, I've had a long career and who knows, it could end any day. Yeah. But well, we've, got, we've got life in this record yet, so we'll definitely- Yeah, 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 that's not cut you off soon. Whenever man. I finish a record, I always know, ah, fuck it, that's another <laughs> two years. <laughs> yeah, you've extended yeah. even more, yeah. And you've got yeah, even more songs for people to listen to. You do a shit yeah. record, you can run out of time, you know? Yeah. 
All right, Gavin, we will let you go. Thank you so much for joining us on It's Real with Jordan and Demi. The new album is out October 7th, and hopefully uh, we'll hear. Do I love it? Do you love it? Yeah, the record? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, we didn't get to it, but I also love I never asked that question. (laughs) No, I do. I do. I love it. I love, I love how, like, I love how crunchy it is. And I, I know I use that word crunchy when it comes to guitars, but I love crunchy guitars. And I even love the closer a thousand years. I like put a note that I wanted to mention that I didn't get to it, but I love having that kind of chill, um, kind of like a little bit like, you know, sort of, um, electronic sounding closer was kind of nice too. So. Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Gavin. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. right, Bye. Yeah. That was amazing. And we can, we can, we can see him uh, so much. And what's great about the interview I love is like, for the first part of it, we were kind of asking kind of journalist questions. Then it kind of like went into just sort of a conversation about Bush albums and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Oh, he's, he's still like in the thing here. Um, there we go. Okay. Yeah. So I was, you know, Demi, I was thinking about, um, my favorite, um, nineties songs and Bush swallowed is, is pretty high up there. And I, I wish we had a whole, you know, um, hour, hour and a half to talk to about Bush stuff, but that's the crazy thing, Demi, when we talk to people who've been around for a long time is we have to balance between talking about their current music and then trying to also cover the stuff that they're really famous for. Yeah. I think that's the beauty, though, man, like, art never dies. Right? Yeah. You say art never dies. We should call this spirituality 101 with Bush. Yeah. Yeah. I love the the whole picture he painted about what it's like to go out. I know. Do you feel that way when you go out live, Demi? Do you feel like this, like you're have this potion that you're trying to sell to the audience? But, but that ass though, I, I do feel like the, the comment about grabbing new fans, when you're playing a show, Demi, and maybe there's someone, maybe you're opening for somebody bigger, you're wanting to capture those people who are there just for that bigger band that don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to put it into words, but I guess I haven't thought about that too much yet. Yeah. Um, but I think from the beginning, I always would just throw on like a hoodie or like, giant clothes so that it wasn't about you know people just around yeah. and if you see Demi's if you see Demi Demi's Instagram or you look at uh any of Demi Demi's modeling work it has nothing to do with what she looks like on stage. <laughs> she goes on stage she's got like a hoodie she's chewing gum which drives me crazy as like it's a friend like you know yeah I understand but like as your as your um as your sort of um, symbolic uh, big brother, it, it makes me nervous to you jumping around stage with like gum that you could just like choke on at any minute. You know? <laughs> All right, Demi, um, let's, let's wrap this up. Go listen and watch to old, uh, go listen and watch old 
It's Real with Jordan and Demi episodes on YouTube and Facebook Watch. Listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have some really great shows coming up. We have some really great shows we've just done. We've done a lot of rock stuff. We just had Brent Smith from Shinedown on, and then we have Gavin Rosdale. It's it's been it's been like a really great uh, stretch of rock acts for us. Um, and if you want to watch, if you even if you're not a fan of Shinedown, you have to go watch the Brent Smith episode because there's a great moment when Demi gushes about Machine Gun Kelly and she loses it, you know. That, that's I was so embarrassed. I was laughing so hard when I literally turned, never have I ever turned off the video of a podcast. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I didn't pull it. We're rambling, so we need to go. So until next time, we'll see you later. Bye.